Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, as, uh, as Amy mentioned, if you would, uh, if you haven't already, go to Revelation chapter 7 uh, is where we're going to be spending some time today. But while you're going there, I do want to say good morning and I want to say welcome. If we have not met yet, my name is Fritz. Uh, I am one of the leaders here at Lighthouse Community and uh, so glad all of you guys are here today. And then I uh, do want to say good morning to our friends to the south uh, at Bluffton Community. I imagine it's uh, much nicer and warmer down there since you're so much closer to the equator. Uh, and, uh, but we're so glad all of you are with us today, and then uh, also want to say welcome to um, everybody who's joining us through our online campus, uh, wherever you're at today. Uh, we're really glad that you're a part of the Lighthouse Community family as well. And so uh, we are wrapping up our series, Imago Day, and uh, we've been talking about the theology of relationships. And maybe this is your first time with us, and so let me give you just a really quick flyby on the things we've engaged in, what Scripture has really shown to us over these last five weeks. Uh, we started uh, five weeks ago uh, discovering the profound truth from Scripture that God himself is relational by nature, right? Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that really does inform a lot about who we are um, and what that means for us. Then in week two, uh, we talked about the, the fact that we are created by God, and uh, that design is so that we would know him, that we would love him, and we would rely on him uh, day by day, moment by moment through our lives. Uh, week three, uh, we looked at scripture and we discovered how uh, relationships essentially, I mean, just got all messed up, uh, how that whole thing imploded, our relationship with God, our relationships with one another, and how Jesus really is the only one who can uh, bring restoration and bring healing to every relationship that we have. Uh, and then if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Matt taught a, uh, a remarkable message on, on how God uses relationships to help us grow uh, in our faith in him and how redeeming that can be uh, as we were looking at Luke chapter 15, uh, Matthew 22, Deuteronomy 6. So uh, that was a fantastic teaching. If you didn't uh, catch last week's Jump Online, uh, you can watch it, you can listen to it, you can download it, um, you can dip it in bronze if you'd like to. That would probably be a good uh, choice as well. But uh, I do hope this series has been as meaningful and hopeful to you as it has to me. Um, uh, God has really been challenging me personally uh, in multiple areas of my life uh, when it comes to relationships and taking steps of growth in that. Uh, some of you have been taking steps as well. Uh, I've talked with some of you and, and you've shared, you know, man, this is the first time in my life I've engaged in small groups, like intentional relationships with other believers. I've always just kind of been on Sunday morning and, and been a part of it from afar, uh, but taking those kinds of steps, uh, you know, are, is, just, is just remarkable. 2020. <laughs> yeah, what a year. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody's like, aren't you glad that dumpster fire is over, <laughs> right? 2021, it's going to be better, right? <laughs> Some of you guys are going, oh, what are you, been in a rock, like under a rock, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, you know, 2020 was really challenging, 2021. Uh, ain't starting out much better <laughs> at this point, uh, it's been, been, been pretty interesting. And so, you know, as I've been thinking about that, uh, a question kind of popped in my mind, and, and it's this, um, if you would, so let's say it's like end of 2019 or even just early 2020, and if you would have been able to know, right, if you would have known 
ahead of time how 2020 was going to go. And not that you could like change it, right? You, you had no capacity to change what was going to happen, but you, you just knew. You knew what was going to happen in 2020. Like, would you have done anything differently? Like, would, would you have made different decisions in December or January or February had you known how 2020 was going to go? That essentially, if you knew how the future was going to be, would that shape what you did ahead of time, right? Like, maybe for some of you, so you're like, well, I, pro- I, I might have, like, stayed, stayed, started staying home sooner, you know, if, uh, if I had known what was going to happen and been prepared for that. Uh, I would have, uh, if I didn't know what was going to happen, I would have beefed up my home internet, ahead of time, right, before, I would have bought so much toilet paper in January, uh, you wouldn't even know, right, (laughs) or at least invested uh, in Charmin, but, um, you know, if if you knew, if you knew what was going to happen in the future, would you do anything differently now, right, that's, that's the question that I'm posing there, and the reality is this, right, like, you and I, nobody really knows like, what 2021 is going to bring. We, we have hopes, we have expectations, people have inklings and assumptions of what that may bring or what it might look like, but, but nobody knows. Nobody truly, genuinely knows. And we don't even know what's going to happen in February, right? Like we, let alone what's going to happen for the rest of the year. But, but the question is, um, if, you could know, if you could know the future... If you could know what was coming in the future, would it, would it change how you live now? Would it change what you did now and today? And that's a bit of what the Bible exposes for us this morning as we dive into it. And so we're going to jump into Revelation 7 and kind of expose some things when it comes to relationships and talk about what, what can we know now and, and should that and will that affect how we operate uh, in the here and now. So um, let me give you a quick overview of what Revelation is, because maybe for some of you, every time like, you get to the Bible reading plan and you're getting to Revelation, you get like nervous. <laughs> like, oh man, I don't really know how to understand or interpret or you know, really read Revelation thoughtfully. There's all of these ideas out there and, and stuff like that. So let me give you just kind of a couple of base level things to understand about the book of Re- Revelation. Uh, first is this, is that this book is what is known as an apocalyptic or an, uh, an a prophetic book, right? So what that means is Revelation's purpose is to disclose to us unseen heavenly, right, unseen heavenly realities and unseen future realities, okay? That's, that's important to understand. That's, that's what it's exposing, unseen heavenly realities, unseen future realities. And so there are some things that you read in Revelation that are already taking place in the heavenly realms, okay, or have already taken place. And then there are some things that are still yet to be realized, Right? They're still yet to be fulfilled. And sometimes it's challenging for you and I to be able to determine which is which because it's not always overwhelmingly clear-cut. Okay? So that's where some of that challenge comes in. 
But if I could give you a piece of advice when you're, when you're reading Revelation, one, don't be afraid to read Revelation, right? Uh, it is God's word. Uh, this is something he has spoken. He's given it to us to read, to understand, to know. And so you don't need to be intimidated by it. You don't need to stiff arm it. Uh, you can read it and know, right, the Holy Spirit living within you, if you're a born-again believer, is going to lead you into truth as you read and through your study. But let me give you one piece of advice when you are studying or you're reading Revelation. Uh, resist the urge to make connections and to uh, give definitions where the Bible does not make connections or give definitions in Revelation, okay? That's probably the biggest piece of advice I could give anybody when they're reading Revelation is don't make connections that the Bible doesn't make. Don't give definitions to things that the Bible doesn't even give definition to things as you're reading Revelation. Because what happens is typically when we do that, we end up treading into areas that actually lead us to false expectations and we outright mislead one another. And it's, and it's not helpful and it's actually unhealthy and it's taking scripture and using it in a way that's a quite, actually quite manipulative um, and not the intended purpose of displaying the glory of Christ so that we can trust him and know him more clearly, okay? So that's the biggest thing I would say. Resist the temptation to make connections that the Bible doesn't make or to make definitions about things there that the Bible doesn't make either. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we, it doesn't mean we can't understand what God has spoken through Revelation. We can. We can understand what God is saying to us. In fact, right, you have to understand this. These writings, the book of Revelation is a vision that the Apostle John, okay, the, the guy who walked with Jesus, right, went where he went, ate with him, right, was there, uh, you know, pr- pretty much every step of the way. God gave this vision to the Apostle John, okay, so that, right, so that we would be aware of those things that must soon take place. That's what John wrote in Revelation 1, right? That we would be aware of the things that must soon take place. And so what God is doing through this vision, what God is doing, how he's using John, how he's using Revelation, is he's actually giving us a glimpse into his future. God is giving us a glimpse into his future when we're reading through sections of Revelation. And so let's actually look at one of those moments right now in Revelation 7. I'm going to start from verse 9, uh, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with what you have. And it says this in Revelation 7, starting with verse 9. After this, I looked. This is John speaking, by the way. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so what's going on here is we're getting a snapshot 
from a future moment in heaven. Now, it doesn't seem to be as far as the timeline. It doesn't seem to be of the point where you have the new heaven and the new earth, which is coming to the place, but this is definitely a moment in heaven. And I want you to notice just a couple things in here, okay? Especially when we're talking about relationships, because that's, that's the whole thrust of what we've been doing in Imago Day, talking about this theology of relationships. And so one of the things I want you to notice is this. John says this, there was a great multitude, right? There was this overwhelming number of people. In fact, it was innumerable. You, ju- you just couldn't even begin the count if you tried. So he's saying there's this massive group, this huge crowd of people, and they're all standing before the throne, and they're all standing before the Lamb, who, by the way, is Jesus, okay? So they're standing before Jesus, and one of the things that John notices when he looks at this multitude is he notices all the diversity, okay? I want you to notice that. In, in this great multitude, he sees this overwhelming diversity. He notices that there are people from every nation. There are peoples from, every tri- from all tribes, There are people from all peoples. There are people from all languages, right? And so you see that the distinctions in this group are very evident. They're they're clear, right? John can see them overwhelmingly. And yet, at the same time, while there's all of this diversity and there's all of this distinction, there's overwhelming unity. There's overwhelming unity among this great multitude. Now, uh, I need a confession moment, all right? I want you to raise your hand uh, if this is true of you. Uh, Has anybody spent any amount of time in their life like watching uh, movies from somewhere between the early 50s and the mid-90s and they were about the future? Has anybody watched like older movies about the future? Raise your hand if you're like, oh yeah, I've seen those like from early 50s up to the middle 90s. Okay, great, I'm not the only one. Uh, So uh, one of the things, what's one of the things you notice about all these movies during that four-decade period when they were, like, talking about the future. There was, like, this common uh, piece among all of them. They, I, th- I think I just, they all dressed alike, right? When they're, when they're showing these, these movies about the future, right? It's co- something's coming in the future, like, oh, this, this is what life's going to be like in 2020, right? You know, <laughs> if we ever see it, um, you know? But these movies in the future uh, of, of the 22nd century, but what you notice is they had this uh, layout where everybody in the movie all looked and dressed the exact same, right? They had like this gray onesie on with the V striped down, you know, and the silver boots. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you've seen them, right? So, so that's like from this human perspective, when we talk about unity in the future, what we really, from our perspective, we understand that to mean sameness, We dress the same, we look the same, we think the same, we do the same, we have all, everything is exactly the same. And so when humans think about unity, what we really think about is sameness. You look like me, I look like you, I say things that you say, you say things that I say, uh, and we are the same, and that's the human perspective of unity, okay? That seems so vastly different from what we're reading here in Revelation 7, right? You you have all kinds of people from different backgrounds, 
from different nations, from different tribes, right? You have people from all over. And it's like, how, how can there be this level of unity among such different people? And, and you have to understand that those distinctions are not overlooked. Those distinctions are not ignored. John points them out. He says, you can see them. They're clear. Nations, peoples, tribes, language, you can't miss them, right? They're definitely noticed. I don't know, maybe they're even celebrated, and so you can see it's like, wow, this, this person's from the East. You know, and, the, and this, this disciple, you know, they were living in Africa. And that, you know, over there, they're from Bast and Haba, right? Like you can tell by their languages, right? And so you have all these unique, and sorry to our people in Massachusetts, I had to give a shot at it, right? Um, <laughs> um, all, you have all of these unique and diverse people, and yet, and yet, they're declaring the same thing together with one loud voice. And it's important what they're declaring. Do you see what they're declaring? With one voice in unison, salvation belongs to our God on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? You, you have to see that right there that's the key to unity. That is the centerpiece to real, genuine unity. That statement right there, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You have all of these overwhelmingly unique people from different backgrounds, different life experiences, different languages, different tribes, different nations, different, right, all of this stuff, and yet they're overwhelmed in the unity how? Through salvation. Through salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ, right? That's what's going on here. And, and you can tell that from multiple perspectives, not only by what they're saying, but also what they're wearing. Because it says this, right? They're, they're wearing white robes, but uh, this, is, this, is, this is a pointing to uh, their purity, to their resurrection glory. They're all holding palm branches as they celebrate, right? Which are signs of freedom, signs of victory, signs of joy, and so you have these people who have been finally and ultimately rescued from sin and death through Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and every one of, right, even you get a couple verses past verse 12, one of the elders says, you know, you know who these people are? These are people who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They came with what they had which was jacked up, messed up, dirty, destroyed, dingy, holes in it, torn up, no good for anything. They washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. These are people who have genuinely put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they are not living on their own record and on their own performance. They have put their faith in the blood of the Lamb. They have put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And you have to catch this key truth right here. Unity, unity, real unity, right? Lasting unity only comes through being born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way to it. There's no other way to a healthy and restored relationship with the Father. And there's no other way to healthy, restored relationships with other people except through genuine faith in Jesus Christ, right? Listen, every other attempt at unity, it's, 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 a made, it's, it's a pitch in the dirt, man. Like every other attempt at unity will always fall short 
okay? Like unity, unity cannot come simply for a desire, from a desire for unity. Unity is not going to come because like peace accords have been signed by governments. You, you, you know, uh, unity is not going to come because of conferences that fa- like focus on reconciliation, you know, among different people groups, right? Real and lasting unity only comes from the experience of being transformed by the Holy Spirit that comes through faith in Jesus Christ as your forgiver and your leader. Everything else falls short. Nothing even comes close. See, and, and you've got to understand this multitude, right? This overwhelmingly diverse group of people. You've got to understand and see how important this is, especially for first century believers. It's important for us, no doubt. But think about, you know, first century believers that would have been reading this for the very first time. So you have to see that disciples in the first century, right, they had very diverse backgrounds. It's, it's not as homogenous as you might think it is. You actually have uh, quite a bit of traveling among merchants. You've got ideas going across, especially once Rome came in, developed uh, you know, roads and systems of travel and all that kind of stuff, made it much easier. And so you've got ideas and cultures and all this stuff. And there's some certain places around like Asia Minor and, and Rome and uh, you know, Middle East that are really pockets for this, this melting pot of ideas to take place. And so where this letter is written, especially, and so you had these very diverse backgrounds, but also what you had in the first century was very clear persecution, very clear opposition to the faith of these disciples, okay? Overwhelming opposition to their faith. And so what these first disciples dealt with is they dealt with things like false teachers coming into their gatherings, trying to distract and draw people away from walking with and following Jesus Christ. That's something they dealt with regularly. Uh, they, uh, their businesses, uh, the, the businesses of Christ followers, were avoided and sometimes even destroyed. Why? Because they follow Jesus. That's it, right? You had the Roman government torturing and even killing Christians simply because they were followers of Jesus Christ, okay? So you've got all of this turmoil, you've got all this confusion, you've got all of this conflict, you've got this opposition going on to their faith going on as they're following Jesus Christ. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you're, you're, a, you're a disciple nearing the end of the first century, living in the Asia Minor region, and you're gathering with your church family on a Sunday morning. There's probably not as much snow there as there is here today, right? Uh, but... You're gathering together on Sunday morning for worship, and as you come in, you stumble into a conversation about what are we going to do in the face of all of this unrest? What are we going to do in the face of all of this persecution that we're going through right now? Right? That's what, that's what you guys are talking about, and you come into that conversation. And so you've got some people going, well, what we need to do is we've got, we've got to organize, and we have got to, we have got to fight back against the government. We've got to let them know we are not going to roll over and take this thing lying down. That's, that's what's not going to happen. Right? And then the other people go, what are, you, what are you talking about? Fight the government. Fight the Romans. What, are you out of your mind? We can't fight the Romans. What we need to do is we need to run. We need to flee. We need to go start our own community, go somewhere else, and, and we'll just seclude ourselves. And, and, and we'll just set that up and we'll do that and, and we won't have to deal with that anymore, right? And so all these ideas are being thrown back and forth. Tempers start to flare. Lines start being drawn. Division starts to bubble among the group of who's right and who's wrong and they don't have a backbone and they're too militant, blah, 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 blah. Right? 
All that begins to happen. And then out of nowhere, somebody comes running into the room. Hey, 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 everybody sit down. Come on. We just got a letter in. We just got a new letter. John just sent us a letter. Sit down, everybody. Be quiet. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to read this letter. So they stand up. And they begin to read this letter. And as it's read, you begin to realize that this letter is vastly different than any other letter that an apostle has written and sent around to the churches. Right? This is different than what Paul has written quite a bit about, you know, about how to handle situations that are going on. This is different than James encouraging people to stay committed to the faith in the midst of opposition. This one's, this one's really different than any other letter that the apostles have sent. And it's not so much about what to do now, but that's there. That's clearly there in the letter. But it seems to be more so about what is still to come. And one of the aspects that really sticks out to you is this part, this part that one day that every person who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, every person who has put their faith genuinely in Jesus Christ, who has been redeemed, who has been saved, who has, in John's word, dipped their robes or washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, that all of these diverse believers with overwhelmingly different backgrounds one day are going to join together in unity celebrating God in his holiness and there's going to be a, you're never going to deal with sin you're never going to deal with pain you're never going to deal with sorrow you're never going to deal with conflict ever again and as this letter is being read to you and you're, and you're catching the vision of that which is still to come, you begin to sense your heart being strangely warmed with hope and anticipation. Oh man, that's really different than what we're experiencing now. And when the letter's read and that's completed and the prayers have been prayed and, and worship has been completed in the group, the conversations following that time together somehow have taken a sudden and sharp turn. What you don't have anymore are arguments about who's going to do what and who's going to uh, organize people so that we can overthrow the leaders and who's going to find the new place we're going to camp out and set up our new city and all that kind of stuff. Nobody's arguing about how to fight the government and how to run, but rather it's shifted. And the conversation is, I know a lot of people that if they don't know who Jesus is, they're not going to be a part of that, that future. How can we start praying for one another to encourage each other to share the gospel clearly? Because I know you have, you have family members who, who haven't said yes to Jesus as their Lord and, and as their forgiver. What's their names? Let me pray for them. Hey, I work with a guy that I could, I could probably share with them. And yeah, I'm probably going to get a trouble in the face. But man, that future seems so much better than anything we're going to face here. And you see this, this huge swing in conversation about how to make what I want to happen in the here and now and getting wrapped up in that which is still to come. Do, 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 you, see, do you see the vision that God has put before us? Do you, do you see the gift that he's given us here, especially in you know, the whole book of Revelation, but especially Revelation 7, this, this future of relationships? You know, one of the things we've been talking about throughout this whole series is we've been talking about the start of relationships. We've been talking about the beginning of relationships. We've been talking about how to deal with relationships in the here and now. And yet, as, as, as our team was developing and praying through this, we thought, what if, what, if we, what if we talked about the future? The future of relationships. And not a maybe future. This is not like a possibility. This is not, well, we hope so, maybe think so. It could come across if things go perfectly planned as we hope so and we can pull all the right lovers and all that kind of stuff. No, no, this is ironclad going to happen. 
There is no way that this future does not take place. It is going to happen. There is going to be a time, there is going to be a place when believers from all tribes, all nations, all languages, all peoples are going to gather together and are going to sing in unity and worship the salvation that belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's going to happen. There's no question about it. But you see, you have all this diversity of people. But not only that, you've got like these angels coming. You have these elders. You have these spiritual creatures, right? John doesn't even know how to describe them. You're like, oh, they're like spiritual creatures. They got like faces and whatever in line. I don't even, I don't even know, right? But we're all, we're, all, we're all united around one person. And it's not you. <laughs> and it's not me. You have to see that is overwhelmingly absent here, right? This is a supernatural reorientation away from the worship of ourselves. You have to see this. This is a reorientation away from the worship of ourselves, the way we want things, the way we think, so, we think things ought to go. Our best ideas. Everyone else is an idiot. If people would just listen to me, all they need to do is, you know, blah, blah. no, this is away from that. And it's a total reorientation to the worship of the only one who actually deserves it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see that? You see, real unity... Biblical, biblical unity is, is a result. Let me say that again because that's very, very important. Biblical unity, real unity is a result, okay? And, and what it's the result of? It's the result of people who, by grace, through faith, submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, transforming their minds, transforming their hearts, transforming their spirits, their wills, their actions, right? All, it's, it's a total reorientation. And so when a person's heart has been warmed, when a person's heart has been transformed through faith in Christ and the forging work of the Holy Spirit, the natural outflow is unity, okay? You, you have to see that. Unity is not something you do. Unity is something you receive on the back end, right? Once you've walked through uh, faith in Jesus Christ because the core issue has been solved. Do you know what the core issue of disunity is? A heart oriented, oriented towards itself. Self-centeredness, selfishness. That's it, right? James talks about that in chapter four. You wanna know why you fight? You wanna know why you quarrel? Oh, it's because you didn't get what you want, so you're fighting to try to get it. That everything, it all boils from that. And so what you have here in Revelation 7 is when the, the power, the penalty, the presence of sin has been completely eradicated and there's overwhelming unity under the leadership of Jesus Christ and away from self. So I want you to think about this. Think about your own life. Where, where are you experiencing disunity? Where are you experiencing conflict in your own life? Right? In your marriage? In your, in your family, in your friendships? Where are you experiencing conflict? At work? Right? Where, where is the place? Is it, in, your, in your business? Are you, spending, are you experiencing conflict and disunity in your small group? Where, where is that taking place? Right? 
you, no matter where it is, you will never get to unity by focusing on unity. It's weird to say that, isn't it? But it's actually true. You actually don't get to unity by focusing on unity. That's not how you get there. You don't even get to unity by everybody agreeing to an idea. Rather, rather, unity is the outflow of faith in Christ, submission to his leadership, and transformation through the Holy Spirit. Now, before Jesus was murdered on the cross, right? He was killed on the cross for your sin, for my sin, took that penalty. Before that happened, he actually spent time praying for his disciples, right? Those that he was walking with in real time, right? James, John, Peter, you know, Nathaniel, all, all of that. He prayed for them, but he also prayed for those who would come to faith later, right? Look at this. In John chapter 17, listen to what Jesus prayed for his disciples. This is verse, uh, starting in verse 20. I do not ask only for, for these only, so he's talking about, right, the, the 12 that were walking with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, praying for you. <laughs> He's praying for me. Like right here, Jesus is, is praying for us in real time. And this is his prayer, that they may all be one. I pray that they would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world, look, you got to catch this. Here's the why. Here's the why. Why unity? Why oneness? Why is this so important? Why is this so vital? Actually, let's read this together, beginning with, uh, so that. It's right here at the bottom. Are you ready? Go. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is so, so important. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me and I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved may be in them and I in them, right? And so Jesus is praying for you and me and he's praying for unity, he's praying for oneness. And he says, one day, one day, I hope they get to see my glory. Dude, fast forward to Revelation 7, right? Like the prayer that Jesus prayed is showing fulfillment in Revelation 7, right? It's like, like John is, is, is talking about it. Jesus has prayed about it. Tell me this isn't going to happen, right? It, it is ironclad going to take place, no doubt about it. And so what he's saying is the same way that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? One God, three persons, each person God, overwhelmingly, overwhelming unity. I would pray that the disciples... The church would look like that too. That way, and, but why? Why is that so important? Oh, well, so we can all agree on the same carpet color when we put new carpet down and there'd be less fighting, right? <laughs> Who picked gray chairs anyways, uh, right? <laughs> and where's all the pink ones? Uh, but, you know, some of you guys are asking that right now. Yeah, <laughs> You weren't until just now. By the way, they're all down in Bluffton because they're, like, they're running out of room. <laughs> they haven't even launched yet and they're like running out of room. Isn't that a great thing? Um, but uh, so, you know, you, you've, you've got him saying, like, why, why, why this unity? So that, so that the world may know. 
that the world may know that they belong to me, that the world may know that, that when you meet me through faith and the Holy Spirit transforms your life, that this is so vastly different than the world. <laughs> this is so vastly different than made-up unity. This is so different than fake oneness. This is real. This is legit. And when the God creator of the universe steps into your life, transformation takes place. So much so that people with different backgrounds, people with different perspectives, people from different nations, people from different tribes, different languages, all that, who, who from the world standard should not even be able to be in the same room with one another without exploding, actually come together in unity. Why? Because he is so much greater than anything else we've got going on. And our hearts are being transformed. When that happens in reality, that's enough to mess with anybody and develop a desire to go, what is happening in there? I gotta know. I gotta know. So I think the question is, well, well how do you get there? What does that look like? Well, I think Revelation 7 and John 17 point to a couple of things that we can do. Here, here's the first thing I think we can do. That like Jesus, you and I, one of the things we can engage in as disciples, as believers, is actually to intentionally pray for unity among the disciples. That's something we can do. Jesus prayed for unity. And you and I can pray for unity among the, the church, among the disciples. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us Right through our common experience of salvation. By the way, everybody has the same. Every believer has the same Holy Spirit in them, same one, same person. Not different. Not different versions. Not different. Is the same person living inside of you, and we all belong to the God and to the Lamb alone. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to grow us into the mature character of Christ. And, and here's what else I think you can take that a little bit deeper: is we can actually ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas in our own lives, right? In our own lives, where, where our own desires and preferences are taking priority over unity in the kingdom of Christ. Right? That's like now we're showing up in your driveway and pulling up, you know, like we're in your kitchen now. Because now we're just talking about theoretical stuff. Now it's like, where, where am I planting my flag on stuff that scripture doesn't even plant flags on? I'll guarantee in those places, that's where disunity, that's where conflict, that's where war in the family hangs around. When you and I plant flags, that scripture doesn't even plant flags. Where we plant flags, where Christ did not plant flags. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to make those aware, you know, to us, all right? And then we can confess them. We can call them what they are. Self-worship, sin, putting myself above the kingdom of God. And then asking the Holy Spirit to transform our lives so that we'll embrace God's will over our own. By the way, that's spiritual transformation, that's growth. That's spiritual growth. Admitting where I am out of alignment, um, where I'm out of step with God, right? Where I'm pursuing my own thing and God's intention is here. And I admit that and go, God, I am caught on my own hobby horse. This is not right. This is not what you'd have for me. Help me to, to resist that, to throw that away and to throw that down and instead to get in alignment with your plan and your will. That's spiritual transformation. That's spiritual growth. Abandoning my own way and following Jesus. And so we can pray for unity. Here's the second thing we can do. And I'm going to say this and you go, man, that, I don't know, that just seems like really soft pie in the sky. I'm not sure about this whole thing. But here's the second thing that we can do, is we can do what Revelation actually is inviting us to do. And it's this, to think deeply on God's future. That's what Revelation is inviting you to do. 
That's what Revelation is inviting me to do, to actually think deeply on God's future. Because this world is so vastly different than that which is still to come, right? And it's so easy to get stuck here and go, this isn't going the way I thought it was, and this seems really hard, and this seems like it's going to be bad here in about six months, and I can't believe that's happening, that's happening. And so what Revelation is going to say, yes, this is real, and I'm not trying to downplay that, but this is real. This is the most real. And And so look on it and think deeply on it and get caught up in it, and be enraptured by it, and be excited about that which is still yet to come, and that's going to happen. These things may or may not happen. happen. Right? And so Revelation is actually inviting us to think deeply on God's future. Right? And this is not a new idea. Disciples through, through history have actually spent time meditating, thinking deeply on that which is still to come, and God has used that to lead them through some of the most challenging, difficult seasons of history in a way that they were faithful to the gospel all the way to the end. Right? As I've been doing that for the last few years, I've got to tell you, like, I'm just personally, I am finding my own priorities beginning to shift clearly. Okay? Because here, here's, and let me just give you a quick example. I have opinions on lots of things. <laughs> Maybe you do too. <laughs> I've read some of your opinions. <laughs> but I have opinions on lots and lots of things. And the more I've been thinking deeply on God's future, I've been putting my opinions and my thoughts up against that of God's word and his future. And when I compare the two, there's only one of them that's really worth diving into. And it's not my opinion. And so I find myself just sharing my opinions less and less and less. Not because I don't care. Not because I'm not thinking about those things. But mainly because I just don't think it matters. (laughs) I don't think you really care what I think about stuff. You know what I think you care about? You know what I care about? What does God say about stuff? What does God say about things? What does God say about life? And so I'm just finding, the more I've been doing this, I'm, na- I'm, I'm just moving in that way. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I, think that's, I think that's okay. And so I would just encourage you this week, maybe take time, read through like Revelation chapter 7. Think deep on Go Revelation 21. I would encourage you, read that. That is, that is an encouraging passage of scripture. Look at, look at the back half of Isaiah 65. Uh, you'll be encouraged with the imagery that's there. You've got to think about that. Even the Old Testament, right? God is speaking clear about that which yet to come, and Christ wasn't even, wasn't, wasn't even revealed yet at that point. And so I, w- I would encourage you to do that and think deeply on what those descriptions mean regarding God's future and, and for you personally. Um, and, and as we pray for others, as we're prayed for, as we're thinking about Scripture and Scripture looks into us, uh, I think what, what you're going to begin to see happen is increasingly the body of Christ becoming more and more unified under the leadership of the Lamb, right? And that's, that's where real unity comes from. You might not know this, and, and you may know this, but I think this is worth talking about. Um, Lighthouse Community is actually a part of a family of churches here in Hancock County. And so we actually have this location here on 224 on West Finley. Then we have another location on the east side of town on Heatherwood Drive. Uh, and then we're launching a new location uh, down in Bluffton. That one's called uh, Bluffton Community. And so really excited about that. Uh, but so there's this family of churches all over. And, and what's interesting about this is you have three churches that have very unique approaches to ministry. 
right? If you go to Heatherwood, it's very, very different than Lighthouse. If you go to Lighthouse, that's, that's different from Bluffton, right? They're, but they're very unique in how we approach ministries, right? But, but, these three unique ministries are overwhelmingly unified in our commitment to the vision of making disciples of Jesus Christ and celebrating God in all of his goodness. And so what, what God has begun to create through this family of churches uh, is actually kind of like messing with leaders in other areas, you know, as we're talking to, to different people uh, in the church world. Because right now there's two primary models. One model is uh, either you have all of these separate individual churches and they all just do their own thing and, you know, you do what you want, I'll do what I want, blah, 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 and, and who cares. And then the other model is uh, you have one church, and they just reproduce themselves wherever they go. And it's, you know, if you've been to one, you've been to this one because they're all identical and, and they're all the exact same and whatever. And those are kind of the two primary models that, that exist out there today. And, and I'm not saying either one of those are right or wrong, good, bad, evil, or anything along those lines. Uh, what I'm saying is uh, those have been the primary ones. And we've kind of said, hey, we think there's something different out there, and we're going to go chase after that. Uh, we think there's something out there that looks a little bit more like this, and we think that's worth going after. And so we've actually had like outside leaders look at what we're doing and they go, that's never going to work. It's gonna, this, uh, that thing's going to blow up. By the way, we're four years into it. Uh, you know, so uh, that's been pretty interesting. Uh, the other side of that, if they're going, you know, well, that's never going to happen. The other side is go, I don't even understand how you're doing this and, and the structure and the whatever. And listen, we're not perfect. We have challenges. We're working through stuff, right? Growing pains, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's all good. But what we've come to is this place of overwhelming agreement on our priority, sharing the gospel, making disciples, celebrating God and who he is, right? Everything else, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you is the same Holy Spirit who lives in me, is the same Holy Spirit who lives in them, is the same Holy Spirit who lives in them. And we can trust that if we're walking in unity under the leadership of Jesus Christ, God can use us even in the midst of our distinctions and our differences. Now, here's what's interesting is even on top of that, our elders and leaders think that there's actually room within Hancock County and the surrounding region, probably for like 10 or more churches in the area, right? Because there's like 50,000 plus people who don't know who Jesus Christ is, right? And what one church, what one location could meet the needs of 50,000 people in one county? I would probably say none. You actually need lots of churches working in partnership together focused on the priorities, letting the, the distinctions and the differences go that really uh, aren't that big of a deal. But how do you maintain that kind of unity where there's lots of differences and there's lots of diversity, but you have that unity? How do you do that? You do what Jesus did. You pray. You pray. You pray for unity. You pray that we would stay focused on the things we should stay focused on and we should give freedom where the Holy Spirit gives freedom. We submit ourselves to Jesus' leadership instead of our own leadership. And as we do, and as the Holy Spirit unites us, people will begin to see the difference between what the world calls unity, right? Which is actually sameness, right? Gay, gray suit, V-stripe, silver boots. That's the world's version of unity. That's just sameness. But the scripture's vision of unity, right? It becomes, and what happens is it becomes clear of what's real and what's a game. What's genuine and, and what's make-believe, right? We've got the opportunity to show the world what real is. Now, listen, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021. We have no clue what's even going to happen in the next, what is it, 28 days? Is that how many we have this month, February? I don't know. But uh, whatever it is. But we do know what's going to happen in the future for believers. That's clear. That's clear. It's crystal clear. 
And so let me encourage you, look ahead. Look ahead with hope. Look ahead with expectation. Look at it, because that's going to happen. It's going to take place. And know that Jesus prayed for that kind of thing to even begin taking place now. That's biblical unity. That's the future of relationships. And we can begin to see glimpses of that and the reality of that in the here and now. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We, uh, we end every teaching the same way, and it's simply this, asking Jesus this question. It's a very simple question. Here at Lighthouse, at Bluffton, online campus, I encourage you, just take a moment, ask this question. Jesus, what, what is it that you're saying to me right now through these passages? What are you saying to me through this teaching? And just listen for a moment. Father, we recognize that uh, our world is full of diversity. Uh, it's also uh, clearly like cut down the middle. Those, those who are walking and desire to walk in alignment with you and live in alignment with you and those who are actually in opposition to you and, and just want to live under their own self-leadership. And there's only one pathway there's only one route where actually real, genuine unity, where real freedom, where, where real life begins to take place, and that's only through real faith in you. And so I would just pray for every, every believer who calls Lighthouse Community home, Bluffton Community, where whatever, just the family of churches, that you would help us overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly to be united around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, knowing that there's nothing else in this world that's actually going to solve our deepest hurts, that's going to solve our deepest conflict, that's going to that's bring peace or unity into this. Like, nothing is going to do that except for you. And so I pray that you would help us to, like, resist chasing after these lower-level, made-up things that just simply distract from the primary mission of making disciples, the primary mission of sharing the gospel so that people can find freedom in you alone, free to be who they really designed, they're created to be. Holy Spirit, empower us into real biblical ministry, to submit ourselves underneath of your leadership, to throw down our preferences, to throw down what we would, uh, our hobby horses, our own personal desires, and ask you to bring us into alignment with your desires, with, with your purposes, with your vision. I bless you for the, the truth of scripture. I bless you for this family. I bless you for the overwhelming unity we've experienced um, not only over the last four years, but even the, the previous 30 years as one church at one location. Help us to continually stay focused on you, under your leadership, under your Holy Spirit's direction, step by step. And may that unity become a testimony to a divided and conflicted world that real life change happens, but it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We bless your name for you are good alone. And we ask these things in the great name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Hey, let's stand together. Um, we're going to spend a few moments worshiping. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com 
or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.